This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Therefore, He, Jesus Christ, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. He always prays for us. You know, we always ask for prayer, and we should. But one thing that I am at peace with and I'm secure is that Christ is always interceding for me. He's always interceding for you. And so He's the great high priest, right? He's in the earthly heaven. In the Old Testament, the high priest had to offer sacrifices to atone for the sins committed by the Israelites. He was responsible for asking God's forgiveness for people. But what about now? Today, Pastor Eddie tells you how Jesus took away all your sins on the cross and justified you from your sins. God has not only cleansed you, but He is always praying and interceding with the Father for you, so that you may receive His grace. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 as he continues his message, The Earthly Sanctuary. at verse 2 again. It says, For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part, now it's going to take us inside, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So we make our way inside, and you see the first part to your right. Uh, you see the menorah. You see the golden altar of incense. Um, we're going to talk about that here because the writer of Hebrew kind of puts a different place on that. Um, then you have the table of showbread. That is called the holy place, and that's divided by the second veil. The first veil, the outer veil, puts you into the holy place. You have the second veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place, and we're going to get to that. But we see here, the holy place itself is 30 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. In the holy place, you have the lampstand, you have the golden altar of incense, and the showbread. Now, the lampstand, we're going to look at the lampstand now. Understand that the tabernacle had no windows. That wasn't the reason for the lampstand. The lampstand speaks as points to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Let's look at the lampstand. The lampstand, uh, if you want to read that, there's some verses there where you go more into detail. Um, But according to Exodus chapter 27, Exodus 27, the priests, not the high priest, the priests, there were many priests, they were required, they were required to put oil in the lamp evening And every evening and every day, so evening and day, they had to fill it up with oil twice a day. Now, when I say evening and day, that's the Hebrew. The Hebrews and the Jews, their day begins in the evening. So it says evening and then day. For us, we say day and evening, right? Right, daytime, nighttime. So for them, it's nighttime and then daytime. So, but they're to put pure olive oil in the lampstand. They're required twice a day to do that. Okay, in Exodus 27, verse 20, it says this, and you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. It's supposed to be lit continually at all times. 
Now, with this here, when we look at the lampstand, when we look at Christ, it points to Christ. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world, right? In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And if we follow Jesus Christ as the light of the world, then we too become light. We are a reflection of Jesus Christ, right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus said, you are, not that you will be or that you try to be, say you are the light of the world. Those who follow Christ, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And so now just picture this. This all is typology. This is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. What kept the lamp burning? Lit was the oil. What does oil represent in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. You see, when we come to Jesus Christ, the moment we surrender our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. And it is the Holy Spirit that causes us to be lit continually. That's why the scripture says to walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so as we are constantly filled by the Holy Spirit with the oil as the lamp is, we're constantly lighting for Christ. That's why Jesus said, you are light. Why? What makes you light? Well, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in your heart. That's why we're a reflection of who Jesus is. When we look at the moon, right? You look at the moon in the nighttime, you say, it's just a ball of dirt. It doesn't have light. How does it light? It's a reflection of the sun. And you and I, we too are light. We're a reflection of the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. So this gives us a picture of the light. The next piece of furniture we find in the holy place is the table of showbread. And he says a bread here in Hebrew, but there is a table there. And the table is about three feet long, one and a half feet wide, two and a quarter feet wide. And on the table showbread, there are 12 loaves of bread each loaf representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And the priests were required to eat the bread on Shabbat. They would eat the bread on Shabbat once a week on Shabbat. They would eat the bread and then they would bake another 12, fresh 12 loaves of bread after they eat the 12. And that's on the table. And you'll find that in the instructions in Leviticus chapter 24. Now, when we speak of bread, what does that remind you of? Jesus Christ, what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The bread of life. And it's through Christ that we have the bread, not only because of God, he provides for us daily, you know, the food that perishes that we get to eat. I mean, we're blessed in our country. We're blessed. I mean, the poorest of America are rich compared to many of the people in third world countries. There's so much that we could be thankful for that we eat the bread. But the bread that he's speaking of here is the bread, the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's what Jesus said when he was tempted in the wilderness. You remember in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4? Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of of God. And so we see the lamp, we see the showbread. Let's look at verse 3. He said, And behind the second veil, now he's going into the holy place. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or you may know as the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And that brings us into the next room. We're going to get to the part with the uh, golden altar of incense and 
you know, because according to the, if you read it right off verse 4, you're going to think, wait a minute, isn't the golden altar of incense in the holy place? Yes, it is. We'll get to that. Hold that thought. But the room, the most holy place is 15 feet. Just think 15 feet all around. It's a square box, 15 by 15 by 15. And the only thing, according to the Old Testament and scriptures, it is the only thing that's there is the Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest... Not any of the priests. Now, there were many priests. There were uh, even at one time 80 priests, the high priest and 80 priests. And only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holy once a year, once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so let's look at verse 4. Now, he mentions, he says he's already in the Holy of Holy, but he says, which had the golden censer, the golden censer. And again, you probably say, well, why does he say golden censer in the Holy of Holies when we read the Old Testament? And many of the images that you find in studies and commentaries always places the golden altar in the holy place, not the Holy of Holies. Well, there are two views on this, two views that scholars that just, you know, try to interpret this. Well, the first interpretation is that at one time, uh, the censer was moved in the Holy of Holies. That could be possible because when Solomon built the temple, you ever looked at the image of the temple? It's huge. It's not 15 by 15 by 15. I mean, that's where they hang their coats. Inside, I'm just joking. There's no place you hang coats. But anyway, you know, but it's huge. I mean, you're talking about 30 feet with a veil. Solomon put more than just one menorah in there. He put like, I don't know, six, seven, eight. He put extra. So he kind of expanded the, you know, when he built the, temple when they no longer use the tabernacle it could be possible you know one would think well why would god allow that wouldn't god like you know anybody goes in the holy holy that's sacred only god and you know the ark of the covenant which represent god you know wouldn't god maybe would have probably smoked killed the priest that try to you know slide the altar of, of incense into the holy of holies well you know there's some things that god permit you know, God has got permissible will and this God's perfect will. We don't know. That's the first view. The second view is that it's speaking of a censor because in the Greek, censor could be either the altar. This is what the high priest would do. He would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But he also was to bring in the incense, some of the incense from the golden altar. And so you see this hanging little censer that he has. So he could be referring to this. I believe that fits best. Not trying to justify it, but that fits best because we're going to see how this is going to connect to his point in the whole letter. Remember, context is keen. You got to read the whole thing in context. You just can't take that verse and say, oh, this verse goes again. No, read the whole thing. See what he's trying to give you a picture of. Because what does incense represent? It's prayers. The golden altar, it represents prayers. Just like the light, God is the light of the world. Bread, God provides, right? Jesus Christ, the bread. And incense, we just read, doesn't he intercede for us, Jesus Christ? And just as the smoke rises up to the heavens, to the skies, so are our prayers. It reaches to the heavens. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about a golden bowl, and it was filled with the prayers of the saints, you know, I don't know about you, but you ever kept things that were sacred? You know, Judy and I, we have a big box in the closet where we collect all our daughter's little, you know, kind of arts and crafts they had in kindergarten. They made for Mother's Day, Father's Day. We kept them. We didn't, I don't know about you. Did you throw yours away? Not just kidding. I don't get you in trouble. But we never did that. We kept them in boxes. 
They meant so much to us. And so we still have them. But anyway, we see the incense. And what does it tell us in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25? Therefore, he, Jesus Christ, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always prays for us. You know, we always ask for prayer, and we should. But one thing that I am at peace with and I'm secure is that Christ is always interceding for me. He's always interceding for you. And so he's the great high priest, right? He's in the earthly heaven. He's in the heavenly tabernacle, that is. The heavenly tabernacle. He's in the heavenly holy of holies, not the earthly holy of holies, okay? And so he's the great high priest in the heavenly holy of holies, and he's interceding for us. Just as the high priest would, you know, use the censer with the prayers of the smoke. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Paul wrote this. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You see that? He makes intercession for us. Always pray. That's what the great high priest, when it comes to the golden altar of incense, when it comes to the censer, what does he do? It represents prayer. So we see Christ in prayer. So let's look at verse 4 and read into verse 5. It says, which had the golden censer, and here's the next furniture, well, it should be the only one, and the Ark of the Covenant, all right? Now the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubims of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So here's the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody knows the exact details of the Ark of the Covenant. So you'll find variations from artists, people actually making the Ark of the Covenant. But we don't know. Anyway, the size is three and three feet and three quarters of an inch, two feet quarter of an inch to two feet high, a quarter of an inch also. It's made out of acacia wood, uh, which is pretty much the only tree that you probably find in most places in Israel that are deserted. But is that tree that also has the thorns. Uh, so that may have been from an acacia tree or acacia wood. Uh, but it's overlaid with gold inside and out. That's how it was to be made. And you have the cherubim. Cherubim is plural for cherubs. There are two cherubs, cherubim. And they overshadowed the mercy seed. It says they're humbling before God. When you see Isaiah chapter 6, and he saw the angels, and you know, two, it had two wings to fly, two wings to cover their eyes, and two wings to cover their feet, is a sign of humility, is to humble yourself in the presence of God. And that's why the cherubims are um, now, they humbled, they actually overshadowed the mercy seat. Now, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Ark of the Covenant, there are three things. You have number one, the golden pot of manna, the golden pot of manna. It's just like the same way I just mentioned that we keep a box of things that meant so much. I don't know if you ever catch some arts and craft of things, you know, remember that ashtray kids would always make? Whether you smoked or not, it was the most ugliest thing. Why am I putting that on my desk? I don't smoke and it's ugly, but it meant a lot. But anyway, this is how it is. It's like God remembering and to remind Israel of how he's been with them, how he provided for them, the golden pot of manna. Now manna, they didn't know what manna was. Manna in the Hebrew means, what is it? That's what it means. Manna, what is it? They would wake up and they see all this manna and they would make bread cakes out of it. They would, they develop a book of recipes. Manna cotti, manna, manna and cheese, manna burgers, manna, you know, manna splits. Anyway, but you know, they came up with, 
They came with us, but they, they were told, the Lord said, only take what you need daily. Don't take any extra. You know, get those people, they're kind of greedy, they, you know, they want more. But, you know, those who took extra, they realized they shouldn't have because their tent ended up to stink. Okay, and then, oh, your tent smells. What's that smell? Oh, you kept some extra manna, right? <laughs> Stop being greedy. And the Lord is just showing them that God provided for them and that God provided for them daily. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. And now, they don't know, scholars don't even know what manna is, what combination of things to make it like bread, but it's not bread, it came from heaven, and this is why the Lord kept it there to remind them that God provided for them. The second item you find is Aaron's rod. Read number chapter 16 and 17. In chapter 16, you get the story about Korah, you know, and Korah was the one that went against the leader of Moses and Aaron, and you find that even in churches today where people go against this core issues. But here, what did God? God judged those that went against. And even Moses and Aaron said, listen, I know you don't like me. I know you don't want me to be a leader. But listen, I'm being obedient to God. God called me. I'm ordained. You need to respect that. And trust me, you want the job. You can take it. But listen, it's the Lord. It's the Lord's decision. I'm not making my... I'm just kind of paraphrasing the story here. But anyhow... Um, Korah didn't want, he rebelled. He said, no, we don't want you. We're tired of you. We're going to vote you out. God did not like that. And what happened? The earth swallowed him up, right? And his family, God said, step away from him because God's going to, and that's what God did. The ground broke, God swallowed, God judged them. And after that, in chapter 17, to confirm that God called Aaron and Moses, this is what the Lord said. I want all the tribes of Israel, the leader of each tribe, to bring a staff, a staff, a dead piece of wood, carve their name on it for the tribe, like the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Judah. And I want all of them. And then Aaron, I want you to take all your rods and leave it in the tabernacle. Come the next morning. The rod that budded a flower and almonds is the one that I have called. The next day, they came, they looked at all the 12 rods. It was Aaron's rod that where it budded, it said almonds, plural. So it's not just an almond and it's not just a nice little flower. It's an almond branch and almonds were attached to that dead rod. And that's what God wanted to remember that when God calls somebody, hey, don't go against the person, you know, just leave it. <laughs> and then the next thing you find is the commandments, the Ten Commandments, right? The tablets, and those were in there. That's the law. So these are the things that God kept in there, and he wanted the children of Israel to remember these things. But we have the mercy seat that's there. And, and this is what gives us, this is what points to Christ. Christ provides, Christ gives life, and he is the law. He fulfilled the law. So this points to Christ, it points to Jesus. He's the bread of life. He gives life, even if it's a dead piece of wood. And because of it, he fulfilled the laws and the prophets. Now we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. We don't have to worry about matter. We don't have to know what it is. We just trust in the Lord. He provides for us. And he gives life. It all points to Jesus. And we see that Christ, the high priest, he also, the blood on, that the high priest was sprinkled blood on the mercy seat for the sacrifice to atone for his sins and the sins of the nation. But Christ did it once and for all. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 to 27. The writer Hebrew writes this, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily. The high priest had to daily make a sacrifice, not 
once a year in the Day of Atonement, the high priest and the Holy of Holies, but the priest had to daily make a sacrifice for their sins. As though high priest, no less is plural, to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Once and for all, when Christ was nailed to the cross, that is it. We don't need another sacrifice. We don't need the sacrifice of bulls and lambs. We go directly to the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ from the cross that it paid for our sins once and for all. Never has to be done again by a high priest or any priest. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, we can enter because of Christ, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith. Now, because of Jesus... We don't have to be like the priest hanging out in the holy place or the nation of Israel hanging out outside the court. We can boldly come through the throne of grace through Jesus Christ and we can enter the holy of holies in heaven and is not an earthly tabernacle. Now look at the end of verse five. He goes on to say, of these things we cannot speak in detail. There's just so much. You could spend months on just studying the tabernacle and see the typology and see and see how Christ fits in everything. And if you want, if you have time for the details, well, you can read chapters 25 to 30 of Exodus. And I think it's a good read if you do study it and find Christ in all the pages there and within those chapters. However, the purpose that he wanted to show the first readers of the book of Hebrews The writer of Hebrews wanted to show you, me, all of us, that the earthly tabernacle was a typology. It was was to point to Christ. It's a shadow of the substance, which is Jesus Christ. So that's verses 1 through 5, the earthly sanctuary. Lord willing, our next study, we look at the heavenly sanctuary. We're going to continue on verses 6 through 10, in which we see the limitations of the earthly service. Look at verse 6. It says, now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest, plural, always went into the first part. That's the holy place, not the holy of holies, of the tabernacle performing service. So only the priest could enter. The other tribes, the other people of Israel cannot go into this place, only the priests. And what the priests would do every evening, every morning, they would make sure there's oil in the lampstand. They would light up the golden altar of incense. Okay. And every week on Shabbat, they would eat the low 12 loaves of bread and bake fresh bread. And we could see them just, you know, daily. This is what they would do. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie's been digging into the book of Hebrews in a series called Jesus is Better. This book touches on so many amazing things, but really ties in the Old Testament covenant with the new. The author mentions the importance of the high priest and the sacrifices that were made. But the point is that Jesus became the high priest and also the sacrificial lamb for all people. Isn't it amazing how Jesus fulfilled all that was in the Old Testament? It's because Jesus became the high priest that now we can go to him for our strength, our courage, and our hope. Another way to come to God is in prayer. Jessica wants to tell you more about this. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. 
The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program. And we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. While you're there, you can find all sorts of information about Calvary Chapel of Milford. And if you're in the area, we'd love to have you come visit on a Sunday morning. You'll find service times and directions on our website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks for listening to Running the Race.